Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. To the book of Proverbs, <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, you will notice a white paperback Bible under one of the chairs, <coughs> excuse me, under one of the chairs in front of you. <clears throat> and Proverbs 6 is on page 306 of the white paperback Bibles. Uh, You probably have gathered that one of the uh, topics that we're considering here this morning is work and our relation uh, to work. And it it seems like we have, at least in America, kind of a peculiar relationship with work. Um, You know, we've got so many technological um, advantages at our disposal with our smartphones and, and the internet that I thought was supposed to make us more efficient so that we could get more work done and maybe have less or have uh, more leisure time on our hands. But uh, a lot of studies are indicating that actually we work more now than we used to, uh, at least more now than we did in the 1960s. In fact, the United States, uh, people in the United States work more hours than any other industrialized nation in the world. We're supposed to have more free time, but we tend to be working more. And then at the same time, we kind of have this aversion to work. I mean, some of us spend a lot of time just trying to avoid work, and of course, everybody looks forward to 5 o'clock, Monday through Friday, right? Because what's 5 o'clock? Well, that's the time when you go home and you don't have to work for a few hours. And we all look forward to vacation, right? Because when vacation comes, we might have a whole week when we don't have to work. And, of course, we look forward to retirement also because hopefully upon retirement we'll have years when we don't have to work. And so we long not to work, and yet we tend to work more and more. It's kind of weird, isn't it? It's kind of a peculiar relationship. Sometimes people kind of poke fun at this, and you'll hear jokes about work like, yeah, I arrive at the office late, but I make up for it by leaving early. Uh, I saw this comparison between work and prison, <laughs> um, drawing some connections between the two. There, there are more than, than you might think. In prison, you get time off for good behavior, but at work, you get more work for good behavior. In prison, you spend your time in a 10 by 10 cell. At work, you spend your time in an 8 by 8 cubicle, even a smaller living space. In prison, You get to play games and be visited by friends and family, but at work you get fired for playing games and getting visited by friends and family. The implication there is that work is even worse than being in prison. And that's an unfortunate thing because, as John already alluded to earlier, work is a gift from God. Work is given to us for our flourishing. And it's absolutely central to who we are as created beings. A writer named Dorothy Sayers said this, Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. That's how central work should play in our lives. So we are um, going through a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. And so we're just looking at what the Proverbs have to say about a number of different topics. And Proverbs has a lot to say about 
work. Last week we looked at the difference between pride and humility, and we saw the contrast between the two. And today we're going to take a, a similar approach and see the difference between the diligent person, the hard worker, and the slothful person, or the sluggard, or the lazy. And when we're talking about work here today, I, I don't just mean the work that we do for a paycheck, but anything where we're expending a certain amount of effort in order to accomplish a goal. So work can involve changing diapers, paying bills, walking the dog, studying for exams. All of these would qualify as work. And here in Proverbs chapter 6, the writer Solomon is going to challenge us by pointing us to an insect, to an ant. One commentator I read said, this is the place in the Bible where we get tutored by a bug. And so that's what I'm going to call our message here today, getting tutored by a bug. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11, calls upon us to look at an ant in order to gain some instruction about work. So let's read that. If you have that passage, please stand. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 is our text. Proverbs 6, starting with verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest? How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. God, by your spirit, open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> well, work, again, is it's kind of a peculiar thing. And one of the things that makes work peculiar is that we don't often think of it as a spiritual thing because, you know, work is so earthy and so physical. It, it's, it's hard to think of cleaning the gutters or grading papers or putting dishes away as a spiritual activity. But, but it actually is, and it's one of the wonderful things about biblical Christianity is that the Bible instructs us not just on the basis of uh, heaven and a one-to-one relationship with God, but the Bible has instruction for how we're supposed to live in all of life, and the Bible tells us that even things as basic as cleaning the dishes and walking the dog actually do have a spiritual component. And the way we regard work and the way we regard laziness and sloth actually is an indication of our spiritual health. And so we're going to look here in Proverbs 6, a number of other Proverbs to help us understand this. And the first thing I want to show you is this. The Bible commends hard work and tells us to consider the ant. Verse 6, go to the ant. O sluggard, consider her ways, think about the ant, and be wise. So the implication there is that as we look at the life of the ant, we will be made wise. We will be instructed 
We will learn something. Uh, I came across um, this news report from CBS News 2011. The headline is Small Wonders What Ants Can Teach Us. So there's CBS News repeating what the Bible said thousands of years before. I don't know if they realized that, but the story goes on to tell us some amazing things about ants, how they have this system whereby they work together and they, they build little roads that they can travel upon. They um, have an organized system of gathering food for one another. They have been even uh, noticed to have a number of ants who will like, get on a leaf and then another ant will come along and drag the leaf along in order to apparently give some ants a, a, a little bit of a rest or a little bit of a break as they go on to the next chore. And all of you have seen an, an anthill, I'm sure, and you've looked down upon it and you just notice how busy they are. <laughs> they are constantly at work. They're never motionless. Uh, we're also told that an ant can lift 20 times its own weight. And so the writer of the Proverbs is aware of what CBS News was telling us just a, a few years ago. Ants are hard workers. And we're to look to the ant to learn from it. Now, why is this particularly significant? Actually, this ends up being a very humbling thing. Should be a humbling thing for us as human beings. Here's why this is so significant. If we look back to Genesis 2, um, we see, as John had said earlier, that, that work is a good thing. This is Genesis 2. Genesis 2 comes before Genesis 3. And Genesis 3 is when there's the fall of man. That's when sin enters the world. In Genesis 2, there is no sin. It's a perfect state of affairs. Adam and Eve have a perfect relationship with God. And look what it says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Gave him a job to do. Prune these trees. Keep this place healthy. Work this place. That's before the fall. It's a good thing. And that sets a pattern for what God desires for his creatures. But if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, where we see actually another creation account. Uh, this is right after the creation of Adam and Eve, and God says to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. In other words, he's given them a job. This is called the creation mandate, the cultural mandate. It's kind of God's job description for humankind. He says, here's what I want you to do. Fill the earth, I'm giving you a job. Work it, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth, even an ant. Humankind, you have dominion over the creatures, over every living thing. And yet here we find in Proverbs 6 that the ant, the one over whom man is supposed to have dominion, is actually teaching a lesson to the man. What we're supposed to see here is, is a very stinging, humbling indictment of the human condition. We shouldn't be learning from ants, friends. We have dominion over the ants. And yet because of the fall and because of our natural tendency towards slothfulness, we got to look and be tutored by a bug. So what does hard work look like? Let, let's take a look at this. Um, we'll look at Proverbs 6, and again, we'll be considering other passages uh, in Proverbs. And it's interesting, I think, when we look to see what the Proverbs say about hard work, because it doesn't tell us some of the things that we might expect, or it doesn't present 
hard work to us in the way that we sometimes think hard work you know, normally is. Um, you know, for instance, the Proverbs don't tell us that, that hard work is working long hours every day. I mean, that is hard work, but, but the Proverbs doesn't present that to us as a virtuous thing necessarily. We, we just don't see that. Nor do the Proverbs tell us that hard work is um, neglecting your family and you know, leaving them alone while you're at the office all day long. Uh, the Proverbs don't present hard work or godly hard work to us as if it's evidenced when you um, make yourself sick because you're working so hard. That's not held out to us as an example of godly hard work. It might be hard work, but it's not necessarily godly hard work. The Proverbs give us other examples of what constitutes hard work. One of them is this. Hard workers take initiative. And so we see this here in chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Look what it says. Without having any chief, referring to the ant again, without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. There's nobody overseeing the ant. There's no motivational speaker for the ant. There's no coach. There's no boss. There's no manager. There's no one giving instruction. They don't have to be told what to do before they get to work. They're self-starters. They just get up and go. They see a job, it needs to be done, and they do it. That's what a hard worker does. That's godly hard work. It's not looking at a project and thinking, someone else will do it. I'll do it later. Um, <clears throat> when I was in, in college, and one of my college roommates is here with us today, so he will verify this story uh, for us. But we lived in a, a house, and there was a potted plant on the window. And someday that potted plant got knocked off and fell onto the ground and dumped a big pile of dirt on the carpet. And it remained there for about three months. <laughs> and we had four guys in that house. <laughs> Nobody cleaned it up. And we, I don't know what we were thinking, actually, but I'm guessing we might have been thinking, someone else will do it. It's not my job. That's an example of a kind of a slothfulness. The hard worker says, okay, maybe it's not my job. Maybe somebody else will do it, but I'm not going to wait for that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take initiative and clean that thing up. That, that's the hard worker, takes initiative. Second, the hard worker um, <clears throat> is characterized by actions that speak louder than words. And so now we're going to move to other Proverbs. Chapter 14, verse 23 says this, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. What the Proverbs is saying here is that in actually doing something, there is value, there is profit. But just talking about it really gets you nothing. And maybe you know people who are always announcing their plans, all the things that they're going to do, all the work that they're going to finish, all the projects that they're going to start, they're always talking, but they're never working. The hard worker doesn't talk so much, he works. And I've been told that if you really want to get a job done and you need some help, the, the person that you ask is a busy person, which is a little counterintuitive because you think, well, a busy person won't have time to help me. But the busy person will get it done because the busy person is working, not talking. 
If you want a job done, ask someone who's already doing jobs, not just somebody who's going to tell you that he's going to do the job. And that's what Proverbs 14.23 is telling us. A third um, <clears throat> distinction of hard work is work that's performed well. Work that is performed with a certain quality. The, the slothful person doesn't care about the work that he or she does. The hard worker wants it done right, wants it done well, wants to pursue excellence. Here's what it says, Proverbs 22. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. He'll be recognized. Royalty will bring that person in and honor that person and commend that person. You know, so often when we talk about a Christian view of work, I think for Christians a lot of times if they get presented uh, with that idea, like how do I be a good Christian at work? A lot of Christians will think, well, it means how do I share my faith with my coworkers? Or it means how can I maybe start a Bible study and bring my coworkers into it after work? That's being a Christian at work. Now, if the Lord leads you to do that and opens up an opportunity for you to do that, I mean, good. I think that's a good thing. But it's a narrow perspective on what constitutes good Christian work. Because good Christian work is just doing a job well. I mean, that's really the essence of it. Dorothy Sayers, again, the only Christian work is good work well done. So whatever you're called to do, friends, whether it's caring for a client or cooking a meal or teaching a class or preparing a term paper, you as a Christian are called to do it as best as you can. We all have different talent levels and all skill levels, so some of us will do things better than others, but you're to pursue excellence, and your faith your status as a Christian should never be an excuse to do shoddy work. You should never say, well, it doesn't really matter how well I make this pizza or it doesn't really matter how well I fix this engine because I'm going to heaven one day and all this stuff's going to fade away. That is not a proper conclusion for a Christian. Do your work well. Do your work well, whether you're paid for it or not. Now, I, I would assess this congregation, New Life, I, I really don't think um, that a problem at New Life is that we have a lot of slothful people. This is a congregation of, of hardworking people. So, you know, a lot of what I'm telling you, I, I'm sure probably a lot of you are saying, yeah, I know that, I know that, that's true, preach it. Um, but, you know, I think there could be another problem among some of us, because it is possible to work too much, friends. There is a thing called workaholism, you know, that's the term that's often used, just being absolutely enslaved to your work. Maybe that explains what I talked about here at the beginning of the service, how we seem to have, or should have more time on our hands, but we're working more. It doesn't really make sense unless work is an idol for us. Then it kind of starts to make sense. If you're finding your identity in your work, you feel like you're nobody without your work, and then you're just enslaved by it. Well, you know what? The Proverbs 
has something to say about that too. Speaking particularly about those who work to gain wealth, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Be discerning enough to know when you gotta stop. When to draw a, a boundary line. When to say no. Yeah, there's more work to do. There's always more work to be done. But at some point, you gotta know when to stop. Can, can you do that? Do you, know, do you have boundaries in your life whereby you're saying no? I mean, here's the problem. Some of us are resting too much at work and working too much while we're supposed to be resting. I mean, we ought to work hard when it's time to work, and then when we've set a boundary and we say, no, we're not going to work after that, when that boundary is crossed, now it's rest, rest. Work hard, play hard. <laughs> work hard, rest hard, if, if you can do that. And the Proverbs is giving us a wonderful balance in God's wisdom, commending hard work to us, and then at the same time saying, you've got to know when to stop. You've got to know when to stop. So... That's the first thing I want to tell you. The Bible commands hard work, but the Bible also goes on to condemn lazy work. <laughs> the Bible is pretty clear that it is possible to rest too much. I just told you to rest. That's why we call this wisdom literature. It takes a lot of thought and prayer and experience to figure all this out because this question, like when does rest spill over into laziness? And that's a hard question, and I don't know exactly how to answer it, and I don't know that I've really figured it out in my own life. Sometimes I feel like, okay, i got to rest, got to slow down, but I was like, I think I'm slowing down a little too much, i got to get up and going. Well, but I'm not resting now, so what, you know, it, it can be a difficult internal struggle, but the Proverbs here uh, I think will help us. So let's go back to the ant here in um, Proverbs 6. Uh, we get this, again, kind of an absurd picture because here we have the, the ant, who's this relatively insignificant creature, just a bug. But look what we notice here in verse 8. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Gathers her food in harvest. There's food there for the ant. The ant is provided for. The ant has everything it needs. It's richly and abundantly supplied for. But... Again, the contrast between the ant and the man. The man, the one who's made in the image of a holy and majestic God. What's his situation? Verse 11, poverty will come upon you like a robber. The man made in the image of God is suffering poverty. The ant is richly supplied. That, that should make you laugh. That's one of the reasons why I called this being tutored by a, a bug, because there's a certain humor throughout this. We're kind of supposed to chuckle sometimes. This is ridiculous. An ant has everything it needs, but a man or a woman or a child doesn't? So why is that? Well, we get that answer in verse 9. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? That's the problem. The man is a sluggard. The man is lazy. Won't get out of bed. <laughs> when will you rise from your sleep? And the result, the natural consequence of laziness is poverty. And very often you have a connection drawn in, in Proverbs between laziness and poverty. At least 14 different Proverbs make that connection, including this one, Proverbs 19.15. Slothfulness or laziness 
cast into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. A lazy person who's not working, not active, is is not going to have his or her needs met. Now, we want to be careful here. This is not saying that all poor people are lazy. That's not true. But it is to say that in many cases, there is a connection and a lack of diligence should never be excused or enabled or commended at any level in the home, in the church, or by our government. It's a destructive thing to commend laziness. And so we saw this passage already today in the New Testament. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. You're not busy. You're busy bodies. Such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Of course, a number of implications that you know, we could get into here and we're not going to, but the principle is clear here in the scriptures. Sluggardliness, laziness leads to poverty. So, again though, what does Proverbs say about what laziness looks like? And maybe a little bit different than what we expect. We don't really get a picture of the guy sitting on a couch with a bag of chips. And maybe that is kind of laziness, but we get other things that maybe you haven't thought about that constitute laziness. So let's take a look at these. First of all, they make excuses. The sluggard makes a lot of excuses. 26.13, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, there's a lion in the streets. What he's saying is, I can't, I can't go out and work. I'm going to get eaten by a lion. <laughs> it's supposed to be funny. It is. <laughs> the Bible is funny sometimes. This is supposed to be funny. You're supposed to look at it and say, that's ridiculous. There's not a lion in the streets. You can go to work. Is it possible that there's a lion in the streets? I mean, I guess, yeah, there's a remote possibility. But it's highly unlikely. So get to work. You know, sometimes people just come up with, hey, I have this condition, I, I can't work, that's this condition. What is it? And you, never, you never really hear exactly what that condition is. Somebody recently told me about some instructions that, that he was given and he didn't follow them. He said they were outside his comfort zone. It's an excuse. I'm not going to do what I'm told because it violates my comfort. Sometimes people spiritualize this. I mean, there have been cults that have said, well, Jesus is coming back any day now, so I'm not going to work. I'm going to quit my job and go sit up on a mountaintop and wait for Jesus to come back. Now, is it possible that Jesus is coming back in a couple days? It's possible. I don't think it's likely. But in any event, the Bible's telling us, keep working until he comes again. That's a lame excuse. I'm not going to work because Jesus is coming back tomorrow. No. This is what the slugger does. Always looking for something that's unique to himself. Everybody else needs to work, but it's different for me. I've got this issue. Now, not to say that there aren't some legitimate issues that require us to be on disability. I, I know that that exists. But generally speaking, the sluggard is the one who makes a lot of excuses. The second thing, <clears throat> they don't finish. They don't finish what they start. That's an example of laziness in, in the scriptures. Proverbs 26, 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Okay, good. Yeah, you're starting to see the humor in the Proverbs. I mean, imagine going to, 
you know, BW3 or whatever it's called, and you're meeting some folks there, and you go to a table, and, and one of the guys there has just got his hand in these chicken wings. And he said, what are, you, what are you doing? Well, I reached out to get a chicken wing, but it just wore me out, and I don't have the strength to bring it back to my mouth. I mean, you just say that's, that's, that's ridiculous. But really the point of the proverb is the person who doesn't finish what he starts. He sees something in the dish that he wants and he reaches out his hand, but he can't finish it. <laughs> he can't finish the task. I know a lot of these things are convicting, and they're convicting for me too. You know, I've got plenty of examples of my you know, laziness in my own life. Um, I, I built a... a a fence in my backyard with the help of Scott Jordan. He came over, we dug post holes, put up the fence to separate the garden from the rest of the yard because we have dogs, want to keep them out. And so set up this fence. Three years went by and I never built the gate. <laughs> so we had a fence and a big opening there for three years. And eventually I hired somebody to build the gate. Um, but that's an example of not not finishing what I started. And according to the Bible, that's, that's what a sluggard does. Uh, thirdly, the lazy person wastes time. Time waster. Chapter 12, verse 11 says this, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks Sense. So notice here that the sluggard is not the person who's idle. It's not the person who's doing nothing. It's the person who's doing something, but it's in pursuit of something trivial and, and worthless. Yeah, they're doing something, but they're not doing something that really contributes, that would provide bread in the end. It's not productive. It's not fruitful in any way. So, you know, we have so many opportunities to look busy, don't we, and to not really be working at work or, or in a classroom. I mean, you can get solitaire up there on the computer. You can play Angry Birds all day long and look busy. I mean, it's easy, isn't it, to always want to go and to see what's on YouTube. Let's go watch a couple videos. Let's scroll Facebook. And then like 35 minutes just went by. Now, you're busy, you're doing something, but it's a worthless pursuit. <laughs> Now, it's not to say we should never be on Facebook. It's not to say we should never play Angry Birds. I mean, there is a certain relief. I love playing words with friends. I do it. But you've got you to draw boundaries. There, there's a place where that just becomes an absolute time waster. And the Proverbs are challenging us here to consider how much of that is connected to, to just laziness. So some of us work too hard, but others of us make a lot of excuses, we don't finish what we start, we waste a lot of time. Well, the last thing I want to share with you is this. The Bible celebrates Jesus' work, commends hard work, condemns lazy work, but celebrates Jesus' work. I'm sure some of you right now are probably asking, am I lazy? Am I a sluggard? Do I work hard enough? Am I a diligent person or a lazy person? I hope you're asking that question because that's what the Proverbs wants you to ask. But for some of you, maybe it's kind of moving over into a spiritual direction. And, and what you're thinking also along with that is, have I worked hard enough for God? 
have I done enough to make him love me? Have I, in my labors, performed sufficiently so that he would forgive me and take me into his kingdom? You might be asking this too. Does God love lazy people? Is there a place in heaven for the sluggard? And the answer is yes. And here's why. Because before the creation of the world, God set forth a plan to save sinners, including lazy people. The Father gave to his Son a job, a task. The Father said to the Son, go and save my people. He took initiative. He didn't wait for us to do something first. He took initiative. He said, son, go into the world. Jesus then came into the world to do his work. And he worked on this earth as a carpenter, of course. But during his ministry, he did a lot of work. You know, he taught. He performed miracles. He raised the dead. He opened the eyes of the blind. And he worked hard. He worked so hard that we know of that story in the boat where Jesus is with the disciples and there's a storm going on and Jesus is asleep. Why? Because he'd been working. He'd been working hard. And here's what Jesus says in John 4. Jesus says to his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I came to do the work of the Father. And these weren't just empty words without action because Jesus finished what he started. He worked hard. He even went to the unpleasant end of giving himself on a cross. And he didn't make any excuses about that. He knew what he was called to do and he did it. He did the job. He finished his work and he did it well. And we know he did it well because he was raised from the dead. That was the Father's stamp of approval in Jesus' work, saying, I am satisfied with what my Son has done. And so Jesus says this in John 17, I glorified you on earth, Father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus finished the job. So friends, have you worked hard enough? No, you haven't. <laughs> and neither have I but Jesus has. Jesus has worked hard enough for you. He has done everything necessary to save you. He has done everything necessary to please the Father so that when you trust him and turn to Jesus, receive him as your Savior, that the Father can say that he is just as pleased with you as he has been with his own Son. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Ephesians 2 tells us this, it's by grace you've been saved, it's through faith, this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, it's not a result of works. Your works aren't going to do it, so that no one may boast. So Christian, work hard. Work hard at whatever God calls you to do. Stay at home mom, student, teacher, plumber, attorney, work hard but rest in Jesus. When you think of God and your future eternity, when you think of your sins, when you think of whether God should let you into his kingdom, rest in Jesus. You can't work for that. 
You can only receive it by faith. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your work on our behalf. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done, wearing yourself out even to the point of death for our salvation. We praise you. Help us, O oh Lord, to be hard workers for your glory in Jesus' name.